Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. So good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in and just being a part of the broadcast. Again, for those of you that are downloading this broadcast and listening to it on a downloaded basis, it is Monday, May 11th, and we're privileged to have as our special guest in the Hot Topics segment, David Stevens, President and Chairman of the MBA. Very pleased and excited to have him here. Um, We're going to be talking about issues that he's saying. I actually wrote David and it said, Dave, what are the top of mind issues? What are the things that you are looking at on the that's really caught your attention right now? And he shot back some good ones that we're talking about. The one that caught my attention was stopping excessive enforcement, needed changes to Dodd-Frank rules, issues related to Safe Act, transitional licensing, and marketing agreements. Now, there's some more that we hope we have time to cover, but those we're going to get through for sure. So you're going to want to stay tuned all the way through to the end of the broadcast. So many of you. And it's always fun when you got someone like David on the broadcast. Uh, we have so many people dialing in. I see so many of you dialing in to the switchboard right now. It is just lighting up. So good to have you all joining us, whether it's dialing in from your cell phones, from your offices. We've got one office in California that literally stops and uses this as their uh, they said, Dave, we outsource our meetings and our up market updates to you. We just put you on the overhead system. We just stop and listen and because you've got such great content. So many of you that write us and tell us about our content, thank you so much. Where again, this is for you. It's our give back. 42, 43 years in this mortgage industry, and it's our give back. It's been a great industry for me, and I'm very pleased to be giving this back, and, and this is our way to do it. Again, this broadcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. I want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, United Guarantee, who just happens to be the number one leader in the MI industry, in our industry, for four consecutive years. They recently published their quarterly U.S. housing update report. It's a comprehensive analysis of key housing indicators and selected economic statistics related to mortgage lending. It's an 18-page document full of charts and the state of the economy, uh, digs deep into housing issues, and a lot of times it's a really comprehensive, great report, and uh, really causes you to be able to look at many aspects of it. Now, the MBA has some outstanding material, and if you did not listen to the broadcast when we had Dr. Lynn Fisher on, that was back in April 20th. You want to go back and listen to that. Uh, she sat in for Mike Frantoni, did a great job. But you know what? You're looking at so much data, and I'm always looking at all the ways it's presented So I can't wait to get this report downloaded and read it. We can't get enough perspective on it. And uh, there's an old proverb that says, in a multitude of war, and it seems like we're at it at times, get a multitude of counselors. So uh, I think it's good to get multiple perspectives on this. Uh, So I'm really plotting them, uh, United Guarantee, on this latest report, 18-page document. Go download it, check it out. You can get it at their website at www.ugcorp.com. And clicking on the Announcements tab for the housing report. It's free. It's downloadable for you. Again, mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. Also, a special thank you goes out to Virtual Electronic Marketing Company, or Assistant, also known as Velma, Velma Velma.com. Love these guys. They do a great job of getting the notices out. In this case, they put out several notices to draw in as many people because we really want to hear from strong leadership, and that's what we're going to be talking to today in the Hot Topics statement. Again, David Stevens will be joining us a little bit later. Uh, normally, we would be going to Joe Farr at this point, but Joe is out of the office, um, and he is not there, so I'm giving his update for him, everybody. So uh, good to have you with us. Before we do that, I want to alert everybody. We cover the upcoming NBA conferences each and every week, and the next one that I really want everybody to encourage you to be there, I'm encouraging all my clients to be there, and that is the upcoming National NBA National Secondary Marketing Conference and Expo. It's always in New York City, and it's almost always at the New York Marriott Marquis. Great venue, great location, and uh, 
It's May 17th, again, through the 20th. If you're not registered, do so now. It's really an important topic because we look at what's going on in the secondary markets and look at what liquidity there is. There's been talk about liquidity issues um, in CNBC uh, about the bond market and concerns about the liquidity issues as if interest rates start rising. So there's going to be a lot of great perspective. Mike Fratt and Tony will be there. Um, by the way, our condolences to Mike. Uh, he just lost his dad, and that's the reason he had to miss the prog, uh, the broadcast. So it was very sad. Um, sorry to so keep him in your thoughts and prayers. Let's take a look at what happened in the market, what's going on today. Uh, when Joe wrote this, it was down 7.32. It continues to plunge. We're down beyond. We're right now looking at about 13, 14, 30 seconds down on the Fannie Mae 30-year, 3%. Uh, so market is given or take it away all the gains that we had on Friday. Again, we've been having two weeks of pretty consistent rate rises. The general feeling in the market is that interest rates are at the bottom. It has nothing to do but to go up. The question is when. But everyone gets myopically focused. They're going up. And, you know, look at that. They're still below 4%. These are still great rates. I don't know if you guys know this, but I do the Today's Mortgage Minute. We It's for consumers. It's 120 radio, television, newspaper websites. And I do a, a video every day seven days a week, and it's just amazing. We have about 7,500 to, excuse me, 7.5 million to 16 million views each month of that update. So we're staying on top of these things, and it's interesting what consumers are feeling. When they see it inching up, they just start saying, okay, I guess it's over, but we really need to get out and be talking to consumers. I'm touching somewhere between 7.5 million and 16 million consumers every single month. And uh, I got a real good gauge of what they're feeling. So you need to be showing leadership in your markets and talking about that these rates are still low. They need to be going. Last week, the trend for rising interest dominated most of the first half of the week. Rates rebounded on Thursday and Friday just a little bit, ending a little a net change. Again, we're feeling the, downward, I mean, the upward pressure. That's mostly present. Janet Yellen's comments were very interesting. Joe highlights those in his comments and specifically about how the stock market is overvalued and rates being too low. So when are they going to rate change? You know, the FOMC meeting minutes from the week before indicated there's clearly some differing opinions, quite an interesting polarization within the feds on when to. Some feel that we need to start raising interest rates immediately. Some still feel that it could be 2016. So it's real interesting what's going on. So Janet Yellen being the leader there really gives us insights over the direction of the Federal Reserve. So, again, all this information is on MBS Quotelines website, www.mbsquoteline.com. Let's take a look. Uh, the new job numbers were at um, – were, were – slightly um, uh, better than what it was expected. And so uh, that was the ADP payroll change. Well, actually, the ADP payroll change number was slightly worse. The new job creation was slightly better. And the unemployment rate fell to 5.4%. We saw market going, well, maybe rates aren't going to go up anytime too soon on that news. Or, you know, we're not sure exactly how it is because there's no marketing, no economic data coming out today. But tomorrow we have the JOLTS report. The retail sales is on Wednesday. And JOLTS, of course, stands for the Job Opening and Labor Turnover Survey. That'll give us a more, it's a more comprehensive report. It's one that Janet Yellen uses, and we'll be paying close attention to that. Also, later in the week on Thursday, we have the PD, PPI, which is the Producer Price Index, as well as the unemployment claims. We'll see if there's any adjustments to that number. Industrial Productivity in Empire State on Friday. Lots. we got Treasury auctions Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, as well as the 10-year auction on Wednesday. So lots of... Um, Lots of indication. We'll have lots of indications how money is flowing this week. So Joe sends his greetings. He wished he could be here with you. He really wanted to be in and participating in this discussion with David Stevens. But unfortunately, he had to be out of the office. So we wish him the very best and look forward to having him back next week. Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 
646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Good to have you with us. We've got Paul Malo joining us by phone. Paul, it's good to have you with us. I'm looking over at your website again. Great information. Again, folks, if you're not downloading www.imfnews.com, missing what's going on, give us an update there, Paul. Good to have you with us. Thanks, David. Well, uh, probably no surprise, uh, non-banks, mortgage earnings as a group, we lumped, uh, we look at 10, uh, 10 sort of the 10 bellwethers, uh, Walters, Stonegate, uh, Aquin, um, Nation Star. They, you know, they they didn't have the best quarter in earnings when you group them as one. Uh, there were some losses, I know, at uh, Stonegate and Nation Star. Uh, so they lagged the banks, but you know that's probably a one one time thing. Uh, we'll be interesting to see how they do in the second and third quarter. So uh, that's interesting. Uh, the big news, though, I think mm-hmm. today we didn't make it the lead, but uh, Loan Depot. Whoa, <laughs> we're hiring a thousand people. Yeah. Uh, that's a big yeah. I know we've written about Freedom. Freedom has had huge hiring friends. Uh, uh, freedom, I should say, has had hiring plans, not fans, but maybe they have plans as well. <laughs> uh, freedom in New Jersey. I mean, they're they're another fast grower. Loan Depot is one of the fastest growing among the uh, top 20, according to numbers we crunch here at uh, Inside Mortgage Finance. I mean, listen, production at a lot of these non-banks are doing fairly well. It's uh, very interesting yeah. the way they... Uh, continue to steal market share away from the banks. Uh, you know, we crunched our first quarter numbers recently. We came in at uh, you know 370 billion dollars, and and you know MBA's MBA's estimate for the first quarter was probably about 90 billion under that. They may want to update um, their estimates on originations uh, to reflect that. So you know things are looking knock on wood fairly well. Uh, refis are still yeah. strong, though rates are going up, so that's probably going to slow. Hearing good things about the purchase market. Um, the one laggard, though, yes. is you know non-QM lending. You know we hear lots of people talking about it, but you know not not a lot of volumes out there. So we'll see. Nope. Uh, servicing deals are hot. They continue to be hot. Bulk purchases prices have come down a little bit. Uh, Mountain View's out there with a couple deals. Phoenix Capital's out there with some deals. I know um, uh, Interactive Mortgage Advisors, MIAC, and Presswick are all. Working on deals, so the appetite's pretty good for servicing rights uh, right now. Um, we crunched some numbers on VA lending. Uh, we found state licensed mortgage uh, originators. These are basically some of the non-banks are doing a nice volume in VA lending. I think in the past we've talked about how good the VA market is right now, uh, and that's something we continue to watch. Uh, the Federal Housing Finance Agency. One of our stories is about uh, diversity in the system. This has to do with uh, the bank directors. Uh, being uh, what we call MWOBs, or more of them becoming MWOBs, which means uh, minority or women-owned businesses or representatives of those kind of companies. In the short-take section, the other big story is uh, Bla- uh, Black Knight is going public. Uh, they're part of Fidelity. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, they're also partly owned by Tommy Lee. Uh, I think they, Tommy Lee um, has a 35% stake. They used to be LPS. Then uh, Fidelity yep. bought them. Then they restructured them as Black Knight, and now you know now they're spinning them off. Uh, uh, Foley, Bill Foley, who runs Fidelity, has for years. I think he's about seven years old now. He has a history of doing this. I know he doesn't like the value of the stock market assigns into his companies, so he's you know he buys them back. Uh, he then he spins them off again. Uh, he's he's done this a number mm-hmm. of times over the years, and it's always worked out to his advantage. Uh, and he's looks like he's doing here with Black Knight, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, that's you know pretty much all the highlights right now. We have one little note about how Fannie and Freddie keep re- reducing their loan loss reserves. Fannie and Freddie had earnings uh, last week. Uh, Fannie earned more than Freddie. Freddie earned about a little more than five hundred million. I think Fannie was more than twice that. Those two continue to earn money. Their G fees are in the range of north of 50 basis points, but they keep shrinking. So it's going to be interesting to see what they look like in two years. Um, presumably there will be no legislative solution until we have a new person in the White House, wherever that might be. Uh, so that's sort of the status quo. So that's sort of the roundup. Um, that's it. Well, a quick question I have. Yeah, I have a quick question for you on the servicing transfers. Um, any sense when you're talking to the, you know, Ones that you're interviewing on your story, Interactive Mortgage Advisors, MIAC, you know, Preston Group, uh, Prestwick, Prestwick Group, saying that wrong. Um, any sense on this is going to continue? What's their flavor when 
you're visiting with them about the servicing transfers. What do you mean? Get uh, the deals continue? Well, I mean, are you there, getting are, deals approved? Yeah, yeah. Do you see them, uh, deals approved and continuing to happen? There's been concern about what's going on in New York, but uh, boy, you got to be at the secondary conference if you're not going to be there because we've got. Uh, uh, oh, John Bancroft, you know, the attorney general, will be there as long as well, along with our, uh, along with our new uh, GSC editor, Carissa Chappell. Uh, so she'll be at that okay, show. And the only thing we know, uh, Aquin is, you know, they have four deals out there. I think at least one of them has been approved, uh, maybe two. They don't exactly disclose when they're approved, but uh, if you look at their servicing at the end of the quarter, they still have quite a bit of service on their books, which tells me their their largest sales have not been approved yet. Uh, I didn't. Yeah. I don't get a sense that uh, the Federal Housing Finance Agency wants to hold these up. I think they're happy to see these deals go away from Aquin. Uh, if you're hearing, mm-hmm. yeah, um, so. if you're hearing that there's trouble getting deals approved, let me know. Uh, I haven't heard any of that yeah. yet, but that doesn't mean it's not out there. So, are you hearing that well, deals it's, are it's, having trouble getting approved? Well, I, yeah, I have. I, I mean, there has been some stories behind that. I'm, I mean, you're the guy that I listen to. People will call me on different parts of, you know, where do they see that? I, I Here's the reason I bring it up is I'm getting more calls that seems to be people more interested in moving portfolios, and I see a potential crescendo in this, especially if we see interest rates rising up. So is it a hold them or fold them, uh, hold it or sell it? I mean, it's, it'll be really interesting to see what's going on, but you're, you you'd stay, you do a real good job, Paul, in staying top of that, and that's why I keep telling everybody they're not logging, logged in, signed up to receive your daily email and checking out your website. They're just really missing out some great information. So appreciate you, you. taking time to be here Thank with you. us and give your update. What's going on? Well, great everybody around there. And have yourself a great week, my friend. Take care. Take care. Yeah, be, be sure. In fact, listen in. we got David oh, Stevens Wednesday, on later, What time is Dave Stevens calling in? Uh, he's already called in. He's on hold listening to oh, your report. So he'll be here. Yeah. yeah, so he'll be on. We'll probably be on with that uh, pretty quickly here, probably within the next five, ten minutes. So oh, okay, stay on. Great. Love to have you All listen right. to it. All right, man. Or you can tune in and listen to it on the Internet. All right, man. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you, Paul. Appreciate you. All right, everybody. It's been good to I, you know, I love Paul's stuff. First of all, it's his way of communicating, this, the way he goes after the stories. He is so well networked in there. And trust me, we know how he <laughs> he can stay on the story. When he wants to track something, he is really good at it. Check it out, www.imfnews.com. Normally, we'd be going out to Alice Alvey right now, but Alice, again, is traveling out to the West Coast. Has She's on an airplane and so cannot be joining us. That does happen. We have to go up and we have to travel and make money somewhere. So we're going to bring in Sam Garcia and get an update from Sam. It's good to have you here with us, Sam, uh, back in Dallas and you know, it's, I like what Paul was doing, talking about some of the numbers. I know you cover some of it, but uh, as it relates to hires. But let's take a look at what some of the news that you're tracking, friend. Yes, uh, you mentioned the Labor Department report last Friday, and Joe's comment. Yeah. And uh, basically, there was a, a an unemployment rate of 5.4 percent. And what's significant about that? That's the lowest since May 2008. So, prior to yeah. the darkest depths of the financial crisis. But uh, more specifically, non-bank mortgage jobs were reported at 284,500, and that was up both from a month earlier and a year earlier. And then, as you know, we use that data combined with some market data we collect uh, to come up with an estimate for the full industry, including banks and credit unions. And that stands at 570,600 people, uh, including about 225,000 people at banks that work in the mortgage business. 60,000 people um, at credit unions, and around 285,000 non-bank mortgage jobs. That's the state of the uh, industry for the moment, at least, uh, based on our estimate. And then uh, we put out the mortgage market index for last week, which, of course, we we put that out based on data from Optimal Bloom, and that was off about a percent from a week earlier. But inquiries for purchase financing were up 7%. So we hardly ever see that number having moved up recently, and it's nice to see that. ARM activity yeah, it's encouraging. 6%. Yeah, yeah. Um, last week uh, there was a speech by FHFA Director Watt where he said that the HARP uh, program would be extended until the end of 2016. Of course, we're not seeing a ton of activity on HARP, but uh, the extension will certainly generate some more refinances. 
Um, Jenny May reported last week some data about its monthly issuance. Uh, it came out to $42.3 billion in April, which was the highest number that they've had since December 2009 when they did $42.4 billion. Uh, MGIC put out some monthly numbers, um, which is good because it gives you a little bit of insight, you know, an early insight about uh, where delinquency is mm-hmm. going. M- MGIC said they uh, wrote $3.6 billion in new business in April, which is the same as the prior month. But their delinquent inventory fell below 69700 which is the lowest since at least 2009 based on the oldest data we've got. Uh, finally, uh, the Mortgage Bankers Association put out their mortgage delinquency survey, and uh, they reported that delinquency, 30-day delinquency excluding foreclosures, fell to 5.54% from 5.68% in the fourth quarter. Eight, yeah. And the foreclosure yeah. rate was down four basis points from the fourth quarter to 1.32. And that's everything, David. Well, that's good stuff. I appreciate you being here. One of the reasons I am a fan of your website is the data that you have. You've got some really good studies. Uh, and some good market data. It's a good complement to what the MBA publishes as well. That's why I'm, you, 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 I'm always I'm a data hungry guy, especially when I'm doing this daily video that I do um, every day. And so I'm always looking for stuff. And I encourage people to check out your website. Go over there. You've got some wonderful information on it. And uh, but the thing of all the things you do well, my friend, it's really the data analytics that's out there and a very affordable price. And I think that's very very good. Again, it's a Really, does a good complement to some of the things the MBA is doing. Very yeah, and the MBA is a great source us. for a lot of these great reports they put out. So they they actually give us uh, access to the full things, and uh, there's some good stuff out there they put out. Oh yeah, I just I mean the studies they do are just second to none. But and it's good that you report it because I think you actually shine the light back towards them all the time when you because you, you always quote the source. And I think that's great. Appreciate it, Sam. If you want to learn more about what's going on, go check it out at www.mortgagedaily.com or email Sam at samgarcia at mortgagedaily.com or call him 214-521-1300. Always fun to have you with us, Sam. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you, sir. Employee. You bet. All right, looking forward to getting to our hot topic here pretty quickly. But before we do, we're, we're and you, you say so much. I say, Dave, you're going a little fast today. You're talking. I've got so much questions. I can't wait to ask David Stevens and get into this discussion that we are. We're, we're, it just worked out that we have Alice here, so we are going to have a lot to talk about. But we have Andy Shell, the Profit Doctor, on the line. So let's go to Andy real Hi, quickly, and then we'll go to an ad break, and then bring. David Stevens on. David, I mean, excuse me, Andy. Good to have you with us. Well, you know, you know, having Dave Stevens on is like having EF Hutton. You know, because when Dave speaks, people listen. <laughs> yeah, people do. Everybody I mean, stop. They should. Dave's gonna say something. Wait, everybody, quiet down. Here it comes. So being. Well, he's got that unique that crow's nest. That that unique position in the marketplace. He sees both sides, and and. Uh, you know, for those of us that are frustrated with a lot of the enforcement issues going on, I mean, he has a unique perspective, and I think we need to draw on that as we draw these conclusions. Before we draw conclusions, we really need it, so it's really good. But Andy, you've been talking a lot about well, some real important topics. Gotta, Why don't you give us run a the ad, real, Dave. your focus? Run the ad first. Chuck Klein, Chuck Klein, MBA National Secondary Marketing Conference. Coming up, right. going to be speaking, M&A, got to attend the session. There are some, he's going to be speaking with Richie May, and there are some deep, deep, deep purchase accounting issues relating to the acquisition of a mortgage company called purchase accounting that have some very serious unintended consequences from the creation of goodwill. Chuck's going to get into all of that. you got to go to a session, go to New York, go to, this, go to the conference, listen to Chuck. There you go. Yep. I have to say He's that. speaking at the secondary conference. Thank you so much. Yeah, put in a good word for our partner. He's speaking there. That's good. Thanks to the NBA for inviting him to come and speak. It is really an important topic, and the complexities that go with that, and it's really accounting, are really important. So, anything? What else you got there, Prophet Doctor? I know you got so many things that you're focused on. Well, I just have a one key point, and that is we all know how important having good technology underneath our companies is. We've got to have a solid technology infrastructure. You, know, you want to walk into your house, turn on the light switch, lights come on, go out, start your car, starts instantly. We want our technology to work perfectly every time. 
but you have to install technology. You have to manage technology. You have to upgrade technology. There's all these TRID updates coming through. And when a, a salesperson comes into your office and starts talking about how amazing it's going to be to go from the system you're on, which everybody complains about, to the system you want to go, you've just got to sign up because it sounds so great until you talk to the customers who actually use the new system who say, it sucks, it's bad, we don't <laughs> like it. Everybody hates their system. And so it's a matter of being mindful of the issues. So have a good, solid implementation plan. The point I'm making is that we've surveyed probably 20 companies who recently went through a technology transition, and 19 of them had a bad experience. And the reason they had a bad experience is because they did not properly plan the implementation. It took mm -hmm. longer. They didn't understand the resource allocation that was required. I'm to the point, Dave, where I'm saying to people, if, if you're looking at changing systems and you're talking to your vendor and they're telling how long it's going to take, whatever it is, double it, double the time, double the cost. But really a more accurate way of dealing with that is if you're looking at changing systems, get a hold of your CPA, get a hold of us, get somebody else to give you an independent verification of your implementation plan. We see this happen so often where technology is not deployed correctly, but it can be. It can be. It can be done well. It's not a, it's not a crapshoot. It's not random. There's reasons why things fail, and there's reasons yeah. how to make it so that they don't fail. So give us a call. Call your CPA. Get somebody to look at your implementation plan to make certain you're going to get what you think you're going to get so that we can stop having all these bad deployments. So there you go. That's my soapbox. I'm done. Good, good, good soapbox. I always appreciate and interested in what you're you're stumping on the, the latest issue you're stumping on. I appreciate it, folks. We're going to be right back after this brief break with David Stevens, President CEO. I said Chairman earlier. I meant President CEO of the MBA. Correction on that previous title correction, and we'll be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact the Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Appreciate you tuning in with us, everybody, and telling others about it. We have grown our broadcast as a result of word of mouth and you being so good at telling others. So appreciate that. Man, there's a lot of people dialed in today. And we have, and a lot of reasons, for, because of our special guest, we have with us today David Stevens, who's president and CEO. I said earlier, president chairman, is president and CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association, of the M which also we commonly refer to as the MBA. And he is going to be our guest on today's topic. We're going to be talking about what are the the questions, that what are the issues that are boiling in his mind, that are top of mind for him. And, and I, I love what David said. He said, he came back, he says, let's get the rules right. And that was encouraging for me to hear and that they are focusing on it because it's one of the things that is frustrating so many out there is getting the rules right. So, David Stevens, good to have you with us. Appreciate, I know what kind of a busy guy you are. And for you to take time out and bless us with your presence and share your wisdom <laughs> and perspective is very valued, David. Great to be with you, David, always. Always good to have you. Let's. I mean, one of the things we were talking as we were getting ready for the broadcast was stopping. You, you wrote back, said, "Dave, I got so many issues, and want to get to hopefully to all of them that we can that you wrote about." But the one that really leaped out at me of the issues is stopping excessive enforcement. And I want to start there. I would first of all like to get your perspective on this. Um, I have been unpopular. We have all been unpopular at times for anyone who said we brought this on ourselves to a degree. And that isn't a popular statement, but it is reality. But it seems like the pendulum has swung too far, David. 
and we've gone over into the realm of excessive force enforcement. You're closer to this than anybody inside the Beltway, and being the leader of our trade association and for our whole industry, quite frankly, what is your perspective on this? Well, look, it's obviously a complicated subject, but I think the thing that um, really stands out for all of us is that um, it was the point a couple of weeks ago when Quicken Loans actually filed a preemptive lawsuit against the Department of Justice. Um, They subsequently filed their own uh, lawsuit against Quicken Loans. But, um, you know, this is another step, and enforcement comes from all areas of Washington, D.C., and and all the state uh, regulators and state's attorneys general, so it can come from any variety of locations. But this particular one is uh, where the Inspector General of HUD, uh, in using uh, the False Claims Act, will go after a lender for defects in loan files, claiming that they uh, they falsely made a claim for the insurance payment on the FHA program. Uh, if you lose those cases, you're subject to treble damage claims um, yes. per incident, per loan file. I mean, the, 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 the punishment clearly does not match the crime, especially when the vast majority of loan file defects are not material uh, or, or are correctable. And uh, unfortunately, these cases uh, go beyond that. But the, the quick and suit, just, just to make the point, you couldn't ask for a better plaintiff, I don't, I don't think, to, to, to uh, argue a case like this. Their compare ratio is, you know, 45. They're, they've won the J.D. Powers Award for customer service, I think, five yeah. years in a row. Um, they, they've, they've moved their headquarters into downtown Detroit, reinvesting in one of the hardest-hit communities we've ever seen in this country from this uh, last recession. Um, and, you know, when they're fighting back, I think it's it, it, it emboldens sort of the whole industry. I, I was going to give Bill Emerson a Superman cape when he came on the stage at uh, secondary, <laughs> but I don't think I'll go that far. But, you know, it really he, articulates he, I, I, the, I, the anger. Yeah, and it does. I think it's um, – he's another one of those guys I admire him at many levels. Uh, had a chance to spend some time with him at the um, – at the president's event that you had a couple of years ago. And I just, I spoke there and I just, I've always mm-hmm. admired him as leadership that he brings. And, you know, you look at someone who's a leader, they step up and sometimes take those unpopular issues and they step out right. ahead of the industry. And because of who they, their, their reputation, I mean, that they didn't buy that JD powers award. That is, that is truly a very independent study and they are best at origination and servicing consistently. So, Kudos to Bill. I I would be one to support that. When you look at this kind of excessive enforcement, let's talk a little bit about the momentum. Are you seeing, David, from your perspective, things shifting where where it's – let me rephrase that. It seemed like the administration even saw that maybe we've gone too far with this. And and at one point in time, there seemed like they say, we've got to be careful that we don't – damage the industry that's going to really be the engine of growth uh, for economic growth. And there seemed to be, at one point, some easing off. And then we just see another wave of lawsuits after that. Where do you see the momentum? Is it shifting at all away from excessive, well, I, or are we... I think we've got. A, I think we have a way. I think we have a ways to go, David. So look, we've been um, we've been in this thing now since you know really 2009 when uh, the Dodd Frank legislation was in peak. Uh, battle up on Capitol Hill, and then we we spent the next few years yeah. implementing these rules and trying to figure out how to do it right, and adding compliance staff, et cetera, et cetera. It just seems like no matter how hard you try, you still can't get it right, and you're still subject to some form of risk. Um, I'd highlight the, the American Banker article today, which talks about uh, CFPB's use of uh, of fair lending violations and and quoting back. Uh, you know, old history about redlining cases uh, that they think are existing and discri- creating discrimination today. The, the problem, the problem is this. You know, I, I always hear people like, "Why can't the president fix this? It's his fault." Or, "So and so needs to stop this. It's the HUD secretary." The, the, these are things that are at this point not in the White House control. When they come from the Department of Justice, who's an independent regulator right. and an inspector general, they're not Secretary Castro's issue because the IG is an independent overseer of risk at HUD. Um, but it is without question the collective weight. It's it's the uh, HUD does play a role, and the, and the secretary plays a role. Just take this one False Claims Act. Um, uh, approach that's being used. We never dealt with False Claims Act cases 
pre-2011. In fact, I was FHA commissioner when we first identified right. that this was an out, this was a law that could be used and many of us inside did not want it used because we thought it would open a Pandora's box and be used in an inappropriate way. But it's been used by uh, the inspector general and um, one, one thing that HUD I think could help with is they could better clarify what defects are, are you really going to be held accountable and which ones are you, are you not going to be held accountable? Which ones are egregious and material that are clearly, you know, uh, what we call fat thumb mistakes where the same employee does it over and right. over and over again. Those are things that a lender can be held accountable for. But minor mistakes in a file that wouldn't have made a difference whether the loan would have been done in the first place or minor mistakes that can be corrected, um, those don't deserve the same kind of response. And yet uh, it, it appears that the way the IG and the DOJ are behaving, it's one size fits all. Any mistake is equal to the next. And it, the outcome of this is going to be clear. Um, you know, wealthy, well-heeled home buyers with large down payments, uh, great credit scores, you know, with all the money in the world, they're going to get all the mortgages they want one way or the other. But these yep. actions are going to ultimately stop lending to the people that, quite frankly, most of these policymakers yep. care about. And, the, um, yeah. you know, it, it's very difficult to accuse someone of disparate impact when they're trying to follow the rules, um, especially when they know if they – go too far, they're going to be hit with a False Claims Act for every mistake and every file that goes to default. It just doesn't add up. The rules do not make sense when what when complying with one rule creates conflict in another and ultimately could put your company out of business. There's it, it, It's very it's so true. One of the, I just re looking at some questions that are coming in from listeners that are texting me already. If you guys want to text me, my cell phone number is 512-632-2900. It's probably the best way for me to notice your questions in mid-broadcast here. So, David, one of the questions that came in is, you know, they look at the Quicken deal. How much is this politically motivated? I, I don't – that's one of those things. I hate to even go there, but it's one question that's come in several times since we started this broadcast. Is there any any credence to aspects of this being politically motivated? They're going after certain ones before, for one reason or another? No, I don't think there's political motivation. I, I would tell you that um, – there's two large cases going on on the, using the False Claims Act. And by the way, for your listeners, enforcement actions come from all sorts of different agencies for different reasons, and so we, you almost need to parse them. Um, an enforcement action from the CFPB is very different than an IG using false claims with the Department of Justice. Just entirely different sources for where those claims come. But anyway, for the there's two big cases related to the False Claims Act, both against very large institutions. Quicken is one of them. Quicken, yep. quite frankly, politically, is is the fair-haired child in Washington. Um, they're viewed as, you know, they're getting accolades for what they've done to reinvest in Detroit and and some of the what yeah. we call the brown state markets. So, um, if if there was a political motivation here to to go after Quicken, that would not make sense. Um, these these are, uh, I, I think, where the focus is from, coming from inspectors generals is that the larger targets um, create the biggest. Uh, opportunity for um, a, a, a big settlement, a big statement to be made in, in, in the markets and in term, and showing their ability to enforce uh, protections for the taxpayers as they might look at it. So um, I don't call that political. I just think that, you know, attorneys like big cases. Um, they set precedents and uh, they're using this, this particular process to try to get really yeah. big settlements out of institutions. The one thing I would just say is in most cases, banks settle. There's been a bunch of settlements using this approach. Yes. There's only two that are actively being fought in the courts and defended by the institutions. And I think until we see one of these cases go through the courts and hopefully see an institution prevail um, or broadly prevail to a much smaller kind of settlement action, um, you know, we got to keep sort of ducking and, and hoping that none of us get picked out yeah. as a lender mm -hmm. in the marketplace because as we all know, and everybody on this call knows who does mortgages, and you're looking at your monthly error rates that are coming out of your QC process, you know, every loan, for the most part, has some form of mistake in it. Um, and so it's pretty difficult to try to encourage you to expand credit when you know that by doing so, that loan has a slightly higher likelihood of going into default, and that default creates a higher likelihood yeah. of some action coming against you. It is. It's really interesting. Um, I just... 
I really applaud Bill Emerson for stepping up and taking the leadership role that he has on this one because, I think you said, I think there's no better poster child of doing it right or trying to do it right. Not that any of us can do it right because of the vagueness in that. Andy's got a quick question for you. Andy Shell. Well, hey, Dave, I actually have a two-part question, if you don't mind. The first point you were talking about is stopping excessive enforcement, and you gave a great example with the HUD IG and the impacts and the irrelevant to mortgage loss. But what what about the CFPB? What about the CFPB? Yeah. Do, you, do you see issues with excessive enforcement coming from the CFPB? And then, then I have a follow-up. Yes, yeah, so um, the CFPB cases have been less um, public, but – you know, we all are aware of the fact that when they go do an on-site audit, um, uh, there is a question as, as to whether they pivot too quickly from doing the on-site review to what's called a CID, where they actually um, uh, find some errors in their process that uh, could violate the CFPB rules and then immediately refer to the enforcement division. Um, most prudential regulators of financial institutions, everybody here who's a lender knows deals with some regulator, either at the state or federal level, most prudential regulators, they'll work through uh, common day-to-day uh, issues with the lender. Uh, lenders may implement operational cha- changes in order to satisfy the regulator, and there's a lot of back and forth. It doesn't automatically go to enforcement unless it's truly egregious. What is a bit concerning out of the Bureau is the use of um, uh, unfair deceptive practices, what's called UDAP. And so applying uh, rules that came into place post Dodd-Frank against uh, book loans that were made previous to the rule. So they use UDAP as an effort to broaden the the pool uh, in that process. We're we're raising that question with the Bureau itself. Um, But again, as I would tell Rich Cordray, and I do tell him this, uh, and I speak to him frequently, um, is is that this is a time to create confidence in the markets, not to continue uh, trying to find institutions and Mm -hmm. find reasons to um, uh, pursue Actions against institution, institutions that aren't engaging in in um, in malicious acts um, with intent. So uh, let, we need yep. to separate uh, footfalls and um, and lenders trying to operationalize a very complex set of rules that have come into place with those that are that are purposefully trying to commit fraud. And until we do that, uh, we're going to keep this level of fear. I call it defensive lending. Uh, that's how we're lending in America today. Yep. It's a defensive lending environment. Until we can remove that defensive lending environment, you know, it's our perspective, credit will remain tight. And I think ultimately that's the argument we need to make with everybody. It's the, it's the, the response to all of this is that fewer consumers get access to home ownership. Um, and the consumers that aren't getting access are the ones that they're actually making these rules to try to protect in most cases. So um, it, this isn't a matter of saying stop Dodd-Frank or the CFPB is is wrong. I mean, the Bureau actually is doing a lot of good things, too. It's it's identifying those things that are, uh, we think, excessive and are, are um, need to be stopped. It's why I was so vocal on uh, something so simple as that rate checker tool. I just couldn't let it sit uh, that they would put out a tool that uh, in an effort to somehow help consumers that actually underdisclosed rates and terms um, far more so than than lenders are obligated to require. Um, I thought I thought and still think it's a terrible example of what the bureau shouldn't do. Uh, and um, and we you know they should try to themselves to recognize when they make their own mistakes and try to use their seat uh, in an effort to protect consumers to create consistency, common standards applied to all lenders, uh, and not force knee-jerk responses by lending institutions across the country simply out of fear. Several, one person just wrote me real quickly. Yeah, great. It said, uh, what is CID? They said they filed a CID. They're not familiar with that. Well, if you go through... um, uh, if you go through uh, a, a CFPB audit and you're issued a CID, right. it's a it's a demand that you meet with uh, their enforcement bureau. Uh, I think it's within 10 days following the identification of the mistake wow. that they found. Uh, I, I don't want to go into that process, um, but we do right. question the sort of judicial process that uh, these institutions have to go through and, and the risk to the individual that ultimately has to go uh, sort of defend uh, the mistakes that, that were identified by the bureau um, without without 
the ability to have an attorney present and a lot of other issues. So the, the, the point here is this immediate transition to enforcement, not in all cases, but that we have seen in many cases, um, we think it could take a different path where as a prudential regulator, they could be working to provide leadership and advise the lending community that's trying to do this right. Mm-hmm. Again, separating out the egregious violators, which is a very very small minority of American lending today, uh, but really help the lending community uh, get the rules right the way we want to. Because um, anybody in this call knows, if you're listening to this call, it's because you are trying to get it right. And uh, right. Uh, and, and that, that's just ultimately the, the pathway we need to be working towards. Andy, you well, had another question. Follow-up, if I could, if you don't mind, Dave and Dave. Sure. Um, yeah, and, go ahead. And, and that is, uh, and that is, as we've as we've sort of thrown up this uh, this a uh, backstop of uh, irrelevant to mortgage loss, so uh, the IG pursuing things based on false claims act, irrespective of if it would really cause a loss to the fund or to the originator or whatever, uh, and and yet we also have on the other side the CFPB coming up with a whole bunch of rules, a whole bunch of stuff, servicing and compliance management, and third party management, new you know trade and all this stuff, and so. Um, Having spent most of my career in regulated depository mortgage lending, I'm used to having lots of rules. And we, we talk to people who go, when we say, have you implemented third-party management? Well, no, because we, we don't think the CFPB really cares because it's not relevant to origination. So it doesn't matter if our vendors have the appropriate service level agreement because nobody cares. How do we balance as originators the the focus of big picture it's not. It's irrelevant to mortgage loss directly, although one could argue that it could be. But how do you how do you get everybody on board with CFPB rules are here to stay. We're going to have to follow them. We might not like them all. Some of them might not directly have impact on direct mortgage loss, like third party management, compliance management systems as a whole. How, how do you help people get on board with? We got to do it all. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> let's see. I, you know, I, I think uh, that there's this is a I, I can't give you the answer that would do service to the few the minutes left on the call, other than to say that um, to a large degree, I think commonality and response is going to be the benefit to come to the benefit of everybody. So, um, you know, whether you get it out of one of our conferences or wherever you get sort of a mutual understanding, um, I'm going to be speaking at the Richie May conference out in Colorado just to talk to uh, their clients. Um, I think the 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 one-off um, institution that isn't prepared is the one that's most exposed. Um, I also think there's a, 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 a sort of, to some degree, a, a little bit of cover for a, a, an institution that's just a very small because uh, ultimately the bureau uh, and generally any enforcement division can only work so fast through so many institutions. But whether it's third party or trid compliance, um, you know, just take. Uh, loan officer compensation programs or marketing service agreements and whether they're RESPA compliant. I mean, we, we have a list, I think it's 22 pages of questions um, that we've, we've completed in very small font and submitted to the Bureau asking them for written declarative FAQs, uh, specific wow. answers to questions. Um, it, just related to TRID on its own. And um, uh, one of our concerns just related to TRID. Wow. And one one of our concerns about the FAQs is that regulators don't like to write written, written responses. Um, they like to give verbal feedback. Uh, and in this case, yeah. we're really pushing hard for written responses. Um, it, it, this is an iterative process, but I think in the end of the day, the best way to manage if you're an institution out there is you need to be part of a group, a, a networking group. If you're a member of the MBA, you should reach out to me right away. We have groups that have weekly calls and just do nothing but go through this, and it's an open invitation to anybody who wants to join. Um, but it, it is a challenge. And, you know, will everybody be ready on August uh, 1st when TRID is implemented? Uh, my assumption is no. Um but I do believe that if every institution has done what they've been at their very best been trying to implement um, and be ready for TRID uh, with all due diligence and um, is generally following the suggested practices of their vendors who, if they're well-known vendors, I think generally speaking, uh, they're going to be not at risk for short-term enforcement um, kind of actions. And I think the Bureau will most likely make that clear in some fashion. But 
this is confusing time, and we are we are war torn. We've we've uh, reached operational implementation maximization. We just can't take any more right now, and we need to. You know, one thing <laughs> so we're emphasizing the bureau is when trade rolls out. Can, let's take a breather here, guys. Let's give us a chance now. For the last two years, we've been nonstop um, change management. We need to now get a chance to get the entire set of, of players right. that are involved in our industry to catch up. Yeah, it's so true. Let's let's. I'm looking at the clock and all the little time we have yeah. left. Uh, it's just so much here to go. I want to talk about changes, needed changes to Dodd Frank rules. What are change? What are the needed changes from your perspective, and what are you guys working on, and how can we get involved? Yeah. So, um, uh, let me just high level. First of all, you know what what I bristle at is hearing folks that I worked with when I was in the administration, Elizabeth Warren, for example, was an advisor to Tim Geithner. And I was, I was on the housing team working with the secretary and a group of others and met with her frequently. We all knew that Dodd-Frank wasn't perfect. Um, the, the idea that yeah. certain members of, of Congress would say that any changes to Dodd-Frank or the rules is a terrible thing and you're trying to take, destroy Dodd-Frank or, is ridiculous. Um, these these laws are made ugly because they go through a congressional process. They're never perfect, and you need to make changes after you see it in effect. So example yes. number one, the qualified mortgage rule. It, it doesn't work. Um, if, if we were actually underwriting to the rule, 43 DTI and an appendix Q, credit would be significantly tighter. What's protecting us is what we call the patch, this temporary, and it is this relatively temporary because it's only as long as the GSEs are in conservatorship or seven years. Um, yep. uh, this patch that says if it's Freddie Fannie acceptable, then you're okay. If if everybody had to really underwrite to the rule, we'd be it, we'd be in a far worse position. So the rule needs to be modified. Uh, we need to find a way to allow judgment to be used, particularly for self-employed borrowers, borrowers with variable income, uh, 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 people buying a home who may have multiple income sources coming into that home. I can name a variety of examples. That's one. Two, the points and fees rule. Um, you know, what What makes me sort of crazy about the points and fees role is we're in a system where the president has said and Rich Cordray has said the goal is to make this simpler so that the consumer can understand um, when they're getting a mortgage, they can compare. I think it's pretty difficult to actually compare when one loan officer has to quote his income differently than another because he's in a non-bank environment or the title company the title serv- title has to be disclosed differently because it's affiliated or not affiliated i mean that's what perplexes me about the whole safe act and it, it, which was a predecessor to all of this is um we created different rules that give uh, in essence disparate treatment uh depending on right. what kind of business model you have in this marketplace, if we're trying to create consistency and commonality for consumers, we need to eliminate all of these different rules that get applied differently for different institutions. And um, so, you know, points and fees is one. Uh, the qualified mortgage rule is a big one that I think needs to actually be written in a far more nuanced way to give far greater credence to the logic of real underwriting, the way we learned it once upon a time. Um Yes, but there are, there there are a variety of other changes we need to make to the National Servicing Standards Rule, to the LO Comp Rule, et cetera, that are ultimately going to have to be implemented. I want to get over to the Safe Act fixes that are necessary, specifically sure. transitional <laughs> licensing. Yeah. Well, look, I, you know, there's a lot of folks out there who would like, who believe that I take a test, everybody should have to take a test. Now, I'll tell you, personally speaking, I completely agree with that. Um, uh, this is an issue that's been worked on long before I came into Washington. I was running the single-family business at Freddie Mac for almost a decade. We had a project working on this back in the 90s um, to have a common testing standard. I mean, quite frankly, you can become a loan officer for a bank uh, e- almost easier than you can become a hairdresser in Washington, D.C., because if you're a hairdresser, you've got to pass a test and go to a school. <laughs> um, so yeah. it, it is, and I don't mean that in the wrong way, but I do worry about adverse selection. I also worry about consumer confidence. I, I would love it if we could go out on the podium and say, okay, America, doesn't matter who you take uh, a loan from today, no matter who they work for or where they are, they've all met the same standardized testing, uh, education and testing right. requirements. We can't say that today. We can say it for part of the industry, but not all of it. Um, this isn't, to me, it's not about like, picking winners or losers or fairness. Uh, it is to many of you. To me, it's about um, making sure we have a system that's c- 
consistent for everybody. And that creates the greatest right. competitive opportunity and gives the consumer the same experience. Safe Act. So we're not going to get testing requirements through Congress. Just not going to happen. I'd, I could explain that later. But what we can get done uh, is this idea of transitional licensing. It's step one. The transitional licensing law in yes. the past would say that um, you know, if you're changing companies and you're going, uh, let's say, from a bank to a non-bank, that you have 90 days to pass the test. As long as you were a practicing employee in the field um, and, you know, no legal exposure as a result of your work, et cetera, you're just merely changing jobs, you should be able to keep doing your work while you take your new job. Uh, and if, if your new job yeah. now requires you to take a test, allow for a transitional period uh, for you to, t uh, you know, go through t education and testing requirements and ultimately become approved. And if you don't pass, then ultimately you can't uh, stay in that job. But, you know, the thing we have right now yeah, is we have impediments to an, a, a, a person's ability to move between jobs within their career simply because of this barrier yeah. to entry, which doesn't make sense. What's the, rec what's the MBA recommending as far as the transitional licensing period? Is it 90 days? What are you, what are you well, looking at? Well, uh, there, there's a piece of legislation now that has co-sponsorship uh, in the House that would have a 90-day transition. Um, we okay. we had a we had a variety of original recommendations, but you know, keep in mind, gang, that we 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 go up and we we we'll actually go up sometimes with draft legislative text and we'll suggest uh, to various members. And I will tell you, I personally met with Republicans and Democrats in the House and the Senate on this issue. Uh, we finally found. Um, you know, some interested members on the House side that actually wanted to sponsor a bill and that a bipartisan sponsorship. Um, so it's a great step. Now, they ultimately draft their own language. It's their staff that drafts the alleged text. Oh, They've yeah. got to negotiate amongst each other. That'll, that, that, as it stands now, has a 90-day provision in it. Uh, and that's something okay. that, you know, is certainly reasonable and that most people can comply with in most states right now. That's okay. That that seems reasonable. I'm looking at the minutes. <laughs> I want to cover these issues because so many people tuned in, tuned in to listen to us. Get at least through the the main four and the marketing agreements, MSAs, marketing agreements that are out there. What's uh, what do you see happening in there? Any is this becoming more of an I, I, issue I, I or less of an issue? Look, I think the I think the scrutiny on marketing service agreements will only increase over time. And and I think at at yeah. the core, I think the real legal question that ultimately has to be answered probably by the bureau is 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 a marketing service agreement unto itself an item an, an item of value? Is, is the fact you actually have an agreement does that become an item of value? I know that there are some out there that can be well run. Um, I think it's. Uh, Look, I'm a practitioner, as you know, David. I come from the business. I, I worked for a large company that had a had joint yes. ventures, uh, and I actually testified in a class action suit as a witness, um, uh, and uh, related to the, to kickback uh, uh, a kickback accusation. This is a highly yep. volatile issue. Um, I would just caution anybody who's engaging in MSAs. Uh, to make sure they have a really well-known national RESPA lawyer and not just take some attorney who wants to be hired by them who will give them the answer they want uh, because that ultimately won't necessarily prevail when if you have to go to court. I, I, I just think it's a it's an issue that's not going to go away, and the, the focus on this is only going to increase, I think, over time. Especially as we see interest rates rising, there's all, everyone's trying to figure out a way, how can we lock up more business? There's more momentum, it seems, within independent mortgage bankers to go towards a marketing arrangement. They see other companies doing it, but I don't know that they've seen the effort that has gone in by those companies to get it right and get, more importantly, the legal counsel before they launch it. And I think you un I want to underscore that point you make. David, you yeah. were originator. Your roots are in origination. What do you think is going on? I mean, we're seeing a shift of uh, the purchase market. Uh, words of wisdom for those that are struggling with that shift as we wrap up the broadcast. <laughs> hey, we're, 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 we're going back in time. This is old school, man. I mean, you know, I started in yeah. there very early. I started in the very early 1980s when interest rates were in the high teens. And there was no refinance market whatsoever. We made our money the old-fashioned way. We went out, uh, called on realtors every day. Uh, and worked to get the purchase business. Um, that's the market we're heading into here. And uh, this this rate shifting is going to be a long-term scenario, not a short-term one from our perspective. 
Um, and right. so, you know, those that are, have access to the point of sale, real legitimate access to the point of sale and have focused on there are going to be, at least in the short run, they're going to be the beneficiaries of having built up that uh, reputation. Those that aren't, you know, it's still a, it's a wonderful industry, and the demographics are going to are call for extraordinary demand for housing over the next decade. Um, I think from that end, it, it, there is opportunity. It just means that for many, they've got to shift their business mentality if they were refi-focused into purchase. Yep. It is so important. David, thank you so much. I applaud what you are doing there at the NBA with so many initiatives. One of my favorite ones is the recruiting and equipping of the next generation uh, mortgage bankers, uh, mortgage banking bound. We had uh, Jeff Schumer on uh, along with um, uh, Brandon Barry. Barry. It was just, yeah, just, they did an outstanding job. I can't, uh, folks, go back and listen to that uh, April 27th broadcast. Again, uh, great group around there. I, I'm, I'm impressed with the team that you've brought to the NBA and the leadership you're providing to them and, quite frankly, to our industry. Thank you, David, so much for being here with us today, and I look forward to having you back here soon. Thanks, David. You bet. Well, folks, we're out of time. It's good to have you be with us. Be sure to download this. I will be rebroadcasting this segment that we did today. We'll be rebroadcasting it tomorrow. We'll be backing out all of the first part of the segment. It'll be just David, and I'll uh, always edit it back a little bit, clean it up a little bit. And so if you want to listen to just this topic, check out the link that will be provided tomorrow. It's so good to have you with us. Have a great week, everybody. Tune in next week. We'll be back with another hot topic. Thank you. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.